Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Gita Jayanti month, I thought it would be appropriate to spend a little bit of time. And uh, looking at the Bhagavad Gita and its teachings, and I was thinking in terms of five kind of essential teachings of Bhagavad Gita. There's many ways of studying and analyzing the Bhagavad Gita. I know some of the devotees from here, Vajvihari Prabhu, in a partnership with Ashona Karishi from Oxford and Shesha and some other senior ISKCON people have put together an analysis of the Gita in terms of what they look at core values. So that's one way of analyzing the Gita. Uh, different people, so many different commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita looking at different ways. But I want to suggest four core teachings that can help us all in life. And kind of, uh, I was thinking about it, but then what kind of solidified it for me, actually had my, <clears throat> we're all living in this world, so bhakti means integrating the world with Krishna. So in that spirit, I had my three grandchildren over to my home last night, tried to control my lusty tongue and offer with as much devotion the pizza and ice cream as I possibly could muster. And then afterwards, on our little 20-inch television screen given to us by Makunda Mirage that gets rolled out and dusted off whenever the grandchildren come, otherwise it doesn't have a whole lot of purpose, watched a short film called Facing the Giants which I don't think many of you heard about because if you ever looked it up on those online reviews, you got 13 out of 100, so you probably wouldn't have been too inspired to take a look at it. But I think the reason it got 13 is quite a religious film. It's about a Christian football coach who's struggling with his team's losing and thinking about firing him, and he and his wife are trying to have a baby, and they don't get, they're not getting pregnant, and some of his coaching staff is against him, and it's, it's, it's a whole crisis. So... Um, the whole film was about him overcoming adversity, and it made me think that we too, as devotees, as Vaishnavas, devotees of Lord Krishna, we also sometimes face and need to overcome adversity. Sometimes in our communities we kind of, maybe we don't talk about that so much, but we all carry things with us. Maybe we had a bad week, maybe we had a difficult month or a difficult year, sometimes there's crisis in the family, <clears throat> in the workplace, in the world at large. So there, there are difficulties. So wanted to talk about what's some guidance that we can gain from the Gita. Because it's not just spoken to Arjuna. You know, those are so little familiar. We know Arjuna was in a major crisis. So why did Krishna speak the Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna in the middle of a major crisis? Because we also sometimes face crises. And from an analytical point of view, as we'll discuss a little bit, there's always some level of problems in this world. That's... But so we don't want to talk about, is there, is there some royal guidance here that can lead us through that? So the first of five essential teachings I want to put up there is, is the idea that actually, and, and if you, if, if you, as, you, as we go through here, you'll see that there's parallels to other teachings, no doubt, because as Vaishnavas, we see the great truths of bhakti and ultimate spiritual knowledge. There's seeds of that and various degrees of, awareness of that in many, many traditions in the world. But the first teaching I would draw from Bhagavad Gita is explained nicely in the uh, eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, <clears throat> where Krishna says that from the topmost planet in the material world down to the lowest, all our places of misery 
wherein repeated birth and death take place. So the first point, the life is actually difficult. We live in a culture where people try to kind of like not talk about that a whole lot. You know, the typical response you to ask somebody at work or classroom or on the street, how are you? Fine. This is just like, you know, very, and if you go much deeper, like, no, how are you doing? They kind of look at you like, you don't really want to know. Like, and, and if you do, don't go there. And uh, there's, we get uncomfortable. You know, people really, somebody comes up, kind of looks you in the eye and says, how are you? You know, you immediately think like they're going to lay some kind of religious trip on you. Or, 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 or like, what do you want from me to be asking like that? But the fact is we know, at least if we think about it, life, life is difficult. Lord Buddha explained life is suffering. There's modern psychologists, writers, this one writer a few years ago, F. Scott Peck, specifically talked about life as being difficult. So Krishna, we would make the case, Krishna said it first in the Bhagavad Gita, to make this point, life is difficult. We shouldn't think that it's not. Sometimes there's a sense to think everybody out there is doing great. I mean, look at Donald Trump, right? The guy's just on the top of the world, right? He's just winning everything he wants, and his third wife maybe is a keeper, maybe, etc., so powerful, so much money. So, you know, and <clears throat> I mean, look at all the big Hollywood moguls these days that have been torn down to their uncontrolled lust. I mean, that have achieved a position of complete happiness. See, the mind tells us, oh, these people have achieved so much. How come I don't have that? We think in terms of there's that, 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 that other people are doing great, but not me. That's the tendency for us to think like that. But the teaching Bhagavad Gita knows it's a tough place. The first principle, it's a tough place. Don't be surprised if you're finding it's a tough place. It is. And if we acknowledge that it is, then it leads to a series of other questions. Because if we think that it's, it's a great place and I just need to like, work a little harder, make a little more money, race a little quicker than the rest of the pack, then we have a whole different vision of life and progress. But if we start with this point that Krishna says, and in so many places in Gita, he says that this world is full of happiness and distress. It's a mixture. There's some happiness. Today's a beautiful day, and a few days from now, there's going to be some snow outside. It's not so nice for most of us. So it's a mixture. So he explains in so many different places about the nature of this material world. It particularly analyzes uh, threefold miseries. What are those? Who can say? What are those three miseries that we're attacked by? One is not taxes, by the way. Oh, that's a manifestation of a kind. I heard a lady's voice in the back. The mind, okay. Okay, the mind sometimes combined with the body. The mind and the body. Sanskrit, all the adhyatmika, right? Miseries from ourselves and, 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 and our mind and body. Other, other places? Difficulties come. Adi Bautica, other bodies, right? <clears throat> your boss, the guy that wants your job, you know, the kids in school that just won't quit harassing you, or your students in your classroom that just won't do their work no matter what. Other living entities. And what's the last one? Adi Daivika. This one appears to be particularly in season these days. Right? It means difficulties coming from nature, from the devas, earthquakes, fires, global warming, although we know it doesn't exist, etc. I was reading, I went to Lisbon, Portugal this year for a, a retreat, something I never heard about, which is the great 
fire of 1755. I might have mentioned it here before. You raise your hand if you've heard of the great calamity of 1755 in Portugal. Portugal was like on the top of the world. They were one of the most, Lisbon was one of the richest and most opulent cities in the world at that time. And what happened was, and then I actually was at the American Academy of Religion. I saw a book, and I thought, well, I never even heard of this thing before. Now there's a book about it. So I'm reading the book. It's, it's quite in line with this first principle. This unfortunate city was very powerful, but they had an earthquake came. And the earthquake caused most of the buildings to fall. <clears throat> and tens of thousands of people died. And then they all ran to the shore <coughs> to get away from these buildings. But because of the earthquake, a tsunami was formed out in the epicenter. So a huge wave came 30, 40 feet high and swept a quarter mile into shore. And then as the water receded, uh, because all the buildings fell over, it was on a special Catholic holiday. It was a Catholic uh, country. There, all the churches and homes were full of candles. And after the earthquake, after the tsunami flood, a fire started, which killed tens of thousands of more people. So it was complete, horrendous difficulty, we could say. So, adiatmic, adibaudic, adidavica, these things are there. Um, other, other analysis are given too. Internally, difficulties, we, we're, we're, sometimes we're a little greedy, causes us some pain, causes difficult relationships. Sometimes there's some lust, some envy of other people. So these are some of the difficulties that are there. So that's like a first starting point. Now, unlike some traditions, ours has a very happy ending. <laughs> we don't just start with the suffering part, but it's, it's, it's a place to begin. So that's the first, the first uh, essential teaching of the Gita. The second one is that there's a source of this difficulty. Now, generally, we think the source of the difficulty is, and we know we've been relieved from it here in Washington, D.C., the tax policy needs to be adjusted. So we all know within a few days, everybody's going to be happier. Right? Because we're going to adjust the tax policy. Or conversely, we have to vote those bumps out, or next time vote those bums, whichever side you think is the bum. As soon as we change the political structure, everything's going to be good. As soon as I get a job, everything's going to be good. As soon as I get my health back, everything's going to be good. All the difficulties will go away. But the Gita says no. <clears throat> Again, similar to what Lord Buddha taught. The actual source of the problem is, of these difficulties, is our own desires. Wow, that's a heavy thought. Because the tendency is when there's problems, we look outwards, isn't it? You having difficulty works because your coworker, or it's because your boss, it's because they didn't give enough money for this project, or this or that, or you have a problem at home, it's because your neighbor's dog barks too loudly. If you could just get rid of that dog without any kind of karmic reaction, everything would be so much better. You know, we have all these different kind of ideas. But the Gita says, no, the problem actually comes from our desires. In the seventh chapter, Krishna says that all living entities are born into delusion. He says we're all deluded, overcome by desire and hate. So how is it we're deluded? Because we're, des according to Bhagavad Gita, <clears throat> we desire things that aren't good for us. Now, I'm not going to ask any details, but I ask everybody to think about it for a moment. And then raise your hand if you can ever think of something you desired that wasn't really good for you. Anybody want to join that club? If you've never desired something that's not good for you, either you're a saint or you're not being very honest with yourself. Because practically we desire things that aren't particularly good for us 
all day long, isn't it? You know, somebody says something mean to you and you kind of desire to like punch them in the face. Maybe you, you don't do it, of course, hopefully, you're good Vaishnavas. But we desire so many things that, that aren't necessarily good for us. And oftentimes we get those things and we find that they didn't really satisfy. So in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, a beautiful, beautiful verse, Krishna says, He says, a person who is able to tolerate the incessant flow of desires, a person is able to tolerate the incessant flow of desires which enter like rivers into the ocean, but is ever still, can alone achieve peace, and not the person who strives to satisfy such desires. So again, we live in a world that's all about striving. We just had Black Friday, right? It's, it used to be just go shopping. Then it was, no, now you have to shop on the holidays. And then it was, no, you have to camp outside the store to make sure you're the first in line to get an extra 10% off during the holidays. And now it's become, forget the holidays. Just shop during the holidays, isn't it? It's like ever-increasing. Um, but Krishna says, whoa, whoa, that, that, that's a problem, that actually the desire itself is causing the difficulty, not the failure to satisfy the desire. So that's the tendency in a materialistic culture. If I satisfy the desires, I'll be, I'll be satisfied. But Krishna says, no, you satisfy the desires, he sells elsewhere in the Gita, they burn like fire. You're just putting more fuel on them. So he says, you have to, we, have, we, he suggests, we all of us, learn to tolerate those things. Now, of course, different topic, we don't get, get carried away. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our basic needs, our family's needs, that's, that's part of it. But the idea is in terms of our our focus or our goal of life. So second point, that uh, one, life is difficult. Second, that the cause of the difficulty is our desires, or as Vaishnavas, we would say misdirected desires. Desires are there, but we, we have to kind of tweak it a little bit. We have to put it in the right way. <clears throat> so third of five essential teachings, I would say, that this desire is based on uh, ignorance or misunderstanding of who we are. If we're thinking I live on the suburbs and such and such a street and everybody on my street has a new Mercedes or a BMW, then I start thinking I need a new Mercedes or a BMW because we think that's who I am. I'm the guy that lives on the street and this is my network and this is the type of people I'm supposed to keep up with. And they certainly look happy. They're definitely looking at me with a nasty smile because they know they have a better car than I do. So maybe if I get a better car, then I can look at them with a nasty smile and then I'll be happier. The, all these kind of things go through our minds in one way or the other. But Krishna explains that actually these different desires that are misleading us, they're based on an ignorance of who we are. And if we don't know who we are, then we don't know what to desire. We don't know what we actually should work for and what we should seek. So that's throughout, again, Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> Two twelve. Many of you know this verse: "Dehino shminyatade hey komanam yovanam jara tatadi hantara praptir diras tatra namuyati." As the embodied soul continually passes in this body from boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes on at the time of death, and the self-realized soul or the sober person is not bewildered by such a change. And Chila Prabhupada, our founder, Char, he gives the example. He says, just like if you get on a bus, let's say anybody commute here. Raise your hand if you commute. Gosh, you're all independently wealthy people. 
I have to change the focus of this talk here. Ananda, the new temple's paid for. Don't worry about it. There is going to be no that fundraiser you were talking about. This is done. Don't worry about it at all. All right, for those of you that, may, that do commute, but your, your arm's too tired to raise it. If you take, especially if maybe sometimes you take metro or maybe even you take a bus, maybe this is more appropriate. Raise your hand if you've ever been a bus in India. Okay, now, now I'm connected with everybody here. Okay, all right, good. That's an even better example. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you thought you were going to get crushed in the bus in India. Okay, good. All right, great. So just imagine you're on that bus or that train. I had an experience one time I got on a train, and I, I was uh, looking for my seat, and there was a guy sitting there already. And I showed him the ticket, and I thought, you have the wrong ticket. And then he showed me his ticket, and he had the right ticket. There were two tickets in one seat. You know, I got home, I wrote the Secretary of Transportation downtown Washington, said, I've, I figured out how you can deal with your deficit for your, your, your apartment. They never, they never wrote me back. But, um, you know, that's a great way to increase your profit. You just sell two, two tickets for one seat. <clears throat> so um, anyway, they were very nice, and I shared the bench with a perfect stranger that night. And luckily, he didn't work in Hollywood, so there was nobody offensive during the evening. Um, but um, <laughs> so many crazy things going on in the world, isn't it? No, very nice gentleman shared, shared, shared the space with me. Otherwise, I didn't have a seat. So if you get in a bus that's overly crowded, if you get in a train like that, sometimes people get really upset. They get angry. You can't have the seat. This is my seat. Get out of the seat. I paid for the seat. And sometimes even like quarrel. They yell at each other. They commit offense. Sometimes even fight. Sometimes, you know, then they have to get thrown off the train. Now, if we were to see that, you and I might think, what's the big deal? The train rides only two hours, or the, you know, the metros, we're going to get off this at three stops. What are you taking this so seriously for? Keep things in perspective, isn't it? Sometimes you see that even like in metro, people get really antsy and pushy, and you kind of think like, come on, you've got a whole life ahead of you. What's the big deal? It's a short ride on the metro. But they lose perspective of who they are, what the context is, what's the real purpose, what are the more important priorities. And they get frustrated, and they get angry, and they get full of anxiety, and they, they feel enmity towards other people. Sometimes they, you know, they, get, they, they commit some violence, verbal, physical, against those other people. Whereas we're thinking, hey, slow down. <laughs> it's just a bus ride. Okay? Makes sense? To a spiritually realized person, they look at us getting anxious, getting frustrated, getting angry about our temporary material position, jealous of our neighbors, sometimes violent towards our competitors in the workplace, in the society, in the school, for the, you know, to be the cheerleader, you know, to get the starring role in the play to get the raise at the, at, at the office. They look at those things the same way look, we look at the people on the bus. They say, you don't understand the perspective here. You've kind of lost a sense of who you are and why you're here and what the potentials are. So third essential teaching there, that the desires that we're carrying that are causing us, according to Lord Krishna, the difficulties, we experience difficulties, caused by desires that are misdirected. They come from a misunderstanding of who we are, and we're just on this short cruise through this life. It's a very short time, 50 years, 60, 100 at most. Um, 
We should keep that in perspective. And Krishna says in the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Mamayavam show jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana manasastrani indiniani prakitistani karshati. The living entities in this material world, we're thinking, you know, I'm this employee or this high school girl wants to be a cheerleader or this college guy wants the big position or whatever. We're thinking like that. But Krishna says, no, actually we're divine. We're part and parcel of God. We're spiritual beings. And we're kind of cheating ourselves. We're cutting ourselves short by allowing ourselves to get cut up with, with this mess. So third, third essential teaching. Fourth one, two more. Uh, the divinity, according to how we feel comfortable, some people are okay with the word God, some people aren't. They prefer the word divinity. Or I had in the slide Krishna. <clears throat> Krishna, the all-attractive being, is with us. Essential teaching in Bhagavad Gita. The, the, some traditions have this idea, you've got you to look for truth, you have to create the truth. Our understanding is the truth or the divinity or the absolute all-attractive person is with us, we just don't understand that fact. <clears throat> Sometimes the example, again, is given by the Acharyas. It's like, and Bible talks about this too, is if you're like born in a very, very, very rich family, but you somehow get disconnected and you're wandering the street like a pauper, all the while not understanding you're the daughter or the son of a very wealthy, wealthy family. So for teaching in Bhagavad Gita that, that um, we, have, we have an essential relationship with Lord Krishna, and he's always there. There's one verse, 18th chapter. Krishna says, um, The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart, O Arjuna, and is directing the wanderings of all living entities who are seated as on a machine made of material energy. 1861, just three verses later, beautiful verse. He says, Because you are my dear friend, he's speaking this to all of us, Because you are my very dear friend, I'm speaking to you my supreme instruction, the most confidential knowledge of all. Hear this of me because it is for your benefit. So, very important principle. Like, if we go back to the first two, uh, life is difficult, life is suffering, it's based on desire. The Buddhist tradition example goes from there to you have to eliminate desire and basically kind of unpacked. And, and I had a Buddhist professor friend asked him one time, so if, if Buddhists don't believe in the soul, what's reincarnating? And he said, that's a very good question. That's all he said. That's a very good question. Our tradition teaches there's a soul, there's a consciousness, we, the individual, we're what's moving through life. And uh, Krishna's there, and he's trying to help us. He's trying to help us. He, he's actually our best friend. This is such an important teaching in Bhagavad Gita. It's not that, okay, ultimately there's nothing and let's get back to nothing. I saw a very funny card one time. It was kind of cute. It, appropriate for the holidays, there was a, a, a monk looked like Buddhist and he was, had a box. And he, he had unwrapped. There was ribbon like that. He had unpackaged the box. It was on the floor and the box was empty. And he had this big smile and he, sa and he said, nothing, exactly what I wanted. He wanted nothing. He's a good Buddhist. He wanted nothing. So he got nothing for the holidays, a nice empty box. So <clears throat> as devotees, we, we understand the goal is not nothing. The goal is to reconnect with Krishna. 
for teaching. God, the all-attractive, Christian means all-attractive, is in our heart, and, and, and um, he has a relationship with us. He has a connection with us. He's, he's created us. He, he's our well-wisher. Um, he, he's, he's our best friend. <clears throat> and uh, as I like this nice expression I learned at some interfaith meeting years ago from a good Christian friend, he said, we should all understand God don't make any junk. You know, sometimes people get kind of hung up because we do have some, you know, shortcomings and we like to be better people and we all make mistakes and sometimes we hurt people that are dear to us and all those kind of things and we lament for opportunities we missed. Oh, why did I do that? Why, if I'd only done this instead and that causes us some distress. And then sometimes we think less of ourselves. Gary Govnapur was giving a nice class in Bhavatam here in the temple just the other day and he was talking about the difference between, he described it as shame and guilt that, okay, maybe there's some guilt when we do something wrong, we regret something. But it shouldn't be shame where we feel necessarily less of ourselves because our real self is divine. We're part of Krishna. We're eternal spiritual beings. We have a relationship with the all-attractive person. And what's absolutely mind-boggling and wonderful, and the more we think about it, it's like you can see how great saints just sometimes is described. Not that anyone should imitate this or take it cheaply sometimes in their realization and their ecstasy they just roll on the ground describe the nectar devotion sometimes they're they they, they 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 cry and then they laugh sometimes they can't communicate with other people or sometimes they're just because they get some genuine realization that that powerful source you look up in the sky you see the stars and you see pictures that you know modern science allows us to see into the galaxies and all these phenomenal, inconceivably expansive manifestations of the universe, that there's a conscious source of all that, and as vast as that is, that conscious source is sitting in my heart with me at this very moment, wanting me to turn to him and reconnect with him, and that's why he's been with me this entire life and perhaps many previous lives, and he will stay with me as long as necessary until I turn towards him. How is that possible? And those great souls that realize that, you can imagine. That's why sometimes they, how can you speak? How, how can you not feel anything but overwhelmed by a realization of such a profound truth? It's just, you know, you can't even imagine how we speak it. So, fourth point. The divinity is with us and divinity is, 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 is in us. And then the last one, <clears throat> very important one. We all have the power, the capacity to put all this aside, to solve the difficulties, to overcome the misdirected desires, and to reconnect with, with Krishna. In the seventh chapter, he says to Arjuna, uh, in the first verse, he explains to him, he says, Now hear, O son of Prita Arjuna, how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attracted to me, attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. I was a college student starting to become serious in a spiritual search and was going to Zen Buddhist retreats, hanging out sometimes with the Hare Krishnas. And in those days, they had people called Jesus freaks. I used to go sit with the Jesus freaks and then just to satisfy, I don't know if my left brain or right side, which was the conservative side, I went to Methodist church on Sunday morning just to balance that. And I had a meeting with the, with the minister one day after the, his lecture because I was very impressed with his knowledge. Walked in his library, huge library, books all the way to the ceiling, nice guy, very progressive, you know, was quoting, because he's at college campus, he's quoting musicians and modern day poets and this and that. And I, my question was, how do you overcome doubt? Because I was a college student, seeing that, 
you know, my material path is like showing me it's a dead end. And these spiritual things are starting to open up like more of a reality. But how to overcome doubt? I mean, how do I really, you know, this clarion call from the Bhagavad Gita and, and, the, and the Bible, and all, how, how do you overcome doubt? And he thought for a moment, he looked at me, he said, you'll never overcome doubt. And I thought, this man's very sincere, but he's, I, I need a better teacher. So Krishna here says how by hearing from him, becoming attached and we can become free from doubt not immediately it's a gradual process but ultimately how do you become free from doubt when you realize something's true when you taste it you know somebody says hey this is a really good dessert and you look at anything that looks kind of strange to me you have some doubt but then when you taste it and experience it oh okay got it so in the same way that's krishna's claim to us by the practice of, 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 of particularly bhakti yoga, by the taking up a spiritual path, we can actually solve these problems. We, 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 we have the power to solve these problems. Um, I mentioned Indian buses to, to, to give an example to some of you, to maybe another 10% here. I'll remind you if you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz. Raise your hand if you ever saw The Wizard of Oz. Oh, goody, a few here, okay? The whole movie, those of you who haven't seen it, don't quote me, but go see it, okay? It's, it's, it's 1939 or something. But anyway, the, because it fits in, is when we become devotees, everything like connects us with Krishna. Those of you who saw the film, the whole tr trouble she went through was ultimately to realize what? She had the power all the time. Remember the red ruby shoes? She had red ruby shoes, and she just had to tap them together and wish, I just, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. So Krishna is telling the fifth teaching of Bhagavad Gita, each and every one of us, it's not only for the priests. Sometimes religious cultures get really perverted. You look through history, almost everyone, you know, certainly happened with Hinduism, you know, Brahmins abuse their power. It's in the Bhagavatam. You know, Catholic, you know, Christianity, the whole Inquisition, you know, was like certain priests murdering other priests. You know, in Islam, you know, everyone where the hierarchies abuse their position, and people start thinking, we've got something special here that you all don't. Judaism, the story of Jesus was a similar thing. You know, there was a hierarchy that eventually you know, conspired against him. So that's not the teaching of Bhagavad Gita. The teaching of Bhagavad Gita is each and every one of us are divine, we're connected with Krishna, we're spiritual beings, we may be covered, we are covered with so many you know, things that aren't so good, we're not so happy about, but we can awaken our relationship with Krishna. We can become purified. He's there to help us. And by doing so, even all these difficulties can be overcome and, and, and go away. That's, that's the teaching of Gita. It doesn't matter. It's not just for the priests. It's not just for people of Indian origin. It's not just for people of a higher social economic class. It's not even for just educated people. There's certainly no gender differentiation. There, there's none of that. There's no racial discrimination. None of that. Krishna says every single person is eternally connected with me. Every single person in this lifetime has the opportunity to connect with him. The only question is, do we want to prioritize it? And that's where it gets back to we have the power. We have the power to do that. So what does it mean to us? In summary, we can live very happy, fulfilled lives. We did a film about ISKCON's 50th anniversary called The Joy of Devotion. That's our philosophy, the joy of devotion. Life's joyful. <clears throat> but we need to know where happiness is found. We need to know where to find it. We need to redirect our energy, slowly and surely awaken our relationship with Krishna through, we advocate bhakti yoga, it's the most simple, most direct process, and then Krishna will help us. 
So that's the practical things that it means. So summary, what's the first, according to my analysis here, what's the first teaching? Life is difficult, okay. And second one? Caused by material desires, our misdirected desires. That's good, he sat up front, he's got it all. Okay, and then the third one? Third one? We need to know who we are. Understand who we really are. And then the fourth one? When we understand who we are, who else is in the form? What's the fourth one? The divinity. Krishna's there. He's helping us. He's with us and he's in us. Okay. And then the fifth one, we have the power. In other words, he's there. Sometimes the charge described, he's like standing in front of a bank with bags of money. Say, anybody want this? Anybody want to awaken their love for me? Anybody want eternal life and happiness? Anybody want to become free from illusion? Anybody want to realize who your best friend is? And everybody's walking by looking for something else. But when we start realizing, hey, these other things don't really help, we slow down and start thinking, well, what's really there? And that's where we realize he's in our heart. That's where we have the power. Okay, so thank you very, very much. You've got a few minutes for some questions. If anybody has any questions or comments, and thank you for your nice attentiveness. Uh, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. I have a question, like um, in, in other major religions like Christianity and Islam, um, in every church and every mosque, there, there, there are programs like you have zakat in, in mosques. You have, um, uh, it's not just a place of devotion, but they are also like help and support to devotees. To their own congregation? Uh, to, the to the congregation and to the world also okay. sometimes. Okay. And in Hinduism, we, we know the story of uh, Sudhama, where Sudhama goes through a real difficult financial situation and Krishna um, you know, blesses him with wealth and all that stuff. Even though this teaching is there in Hinduism, but it's not practiced. I mean, we don't have anything in India, we don't have anywhere in the world, so what is the reason for that? For not having so many programs in place to care for ourselves and to care for the larger world? The general the community. community. Our community or the greater community? Um, both. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I will not try to speak for Hinduism. That's like trying to speak for, you know, it's too big. But I'll speak for a little bit of Vaishnavism and, and ISKCON. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we have the body, we have the mind, we have the intelligence, we have our emotions, we have our soul. And... All of those are connected. And in order to make progress in spiritual life, the Lord himself in Bhagavad Gita says one should be regulated or moderate in their habits of eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. So we need to take care of all aspects of life. Um, the ISKCON Society actually has the world's largest free vegetarian food distribution program. In India alone, we feed 1.2 million children every day and other places too. I don't know exactly how many more meals. We have hospitals, we have you know, more and more educational programs. So ISKCON's only around for 50 years, we should do more of those things. I think that maybe a dozen hospitals these days. For devotees that have that ability, they should do it. If you're a doctor, great, do a hospital and do it for Krishna. 
if your teacher do education and, and bring Krishna in, if you got money, you know, don't hoard it. Do something that helps people. Build temples, but also take care of people's other needs as well. Our acharyas criticize when society only focuses on the here and now and forgets the transcendent reality. But in a similar way, if we focus on transcendence but don't take care of our needs here, like, the, again, I think the Bible has some expression, you can't preach to a hungry man. So we need to take care of, help people with their basic needs, but at the same time understand it's a slippery slope because people can very easily get caught up with, I need, I need this and this and this and this and this. But we should be charitably disposed. If, especially if you're grahasta, I mean, our, you know, our system is you should give 50%. Give 50% in charities. You give some to give to the temple, some to, you know, like buy some Bhagavad Gita's. But also, you know, don't be thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give Bhagavad Gita's and, and spread spiritual knowledge, and then I'm going to go home and live in my big house and eat my, you know, my expensive food and not care about people that are suffering. It's not, Vaishnavas should feel great compassion on all levels. But there needs to be balance there. Is that okay? The Hinduism says like uh, every individual should contribute one-fifth of the earning like to some charitable If cause. you have that quote, I'd love to see it. Maybe you can give me a reference yeah. on that. Yeah. Okay. Hare Krishna Prabhu, uh, my question is about the verse where Krishna says, uh, so sometimes I have difficulty in understanding that because Krishna is talking about uh, all different types of yogas, Jnana Yoga, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, and then he gives this verse. And then I'm not able to relate that so very well that he's saying abandon all kinds of religion and surrender to me. And I see that keyword there is surrender. So how to relate that surrender with all the knowledge that he has previously given and how to really take the real essence of this verse? Prabhupada says, The Lord has described various kinds of knowledge and processes of religion. He has described so many different ways, different types of religion. Now in summarizing Bhagavad Gita, he says that Arjuna should give up all those processes. He should simply surrender to Krishna. That surrender will save him from all kinds of sin for action, and the Lord personally promises to protect him. So you, you stated it well. So our understanding of yoga, right, the definition to yoke, to rejoin, is that the soul, we individually, at some point in the distant past, we became separated from Krishna, and the different processes of religion and spirituality are meant to gradually elevate us out of our ignorance and our forgetfulness, gradually free us from our attachments to things that are harmful for us and other people, gradually regulate our mind and our senses so we start experiencing there's more to me than just these carnal desires, gradually awaken our knowledge and understand that there must be some intelligent design behind everything, gradually through purification realize that that intelligence is a, is a benevolent personality and through the process of, process of bhakti gradually realize that the perfection is, is not to follow these different processes to awaken knowledge but it's having once to awaken knowledge just give ourselves to God. That the, that the essential experience of, of, of life and of existence according to bhakti and it's not a sentimental thing it's a very deeply profound philosophical analysis that leads us, our charge, to conclude that underlying energy experience is, 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 is love. 
And love means surrender, means selflessness. And that that's actually what satisfies us. Like it's Christmas time, right? They have this little motto, right? It's better to give than to receive. You know, and it's, 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 it's a fact, actually, in a spiritual level. It's better to give than receive. So the different processes that are meant to, he's like, okay, ultimately give, you know, give up the processes. So like if you want to go somewhere, okay, you're going to go to the mall, right? You've got to get something. So you can, you can drive, you can walk, you can, you can hitchhike, you can take a bus, but ultimately you've got to get out of the car, get out of the, and just walk inside. So ultimately, all the processes are there, but ultimately the processes are meant to bring us to the point of Krishna. I'm yours and you're mine. Let me surrender and serve you as you like. That uh, uh, the surrender is like not a state of mind uh, always, like you are doing activities at the, in the mood of surrender. So you're following the processes as well as you're surrendered in your mind while you're following the processes. So should it be like combination of both or it is like you're just natural love for Krishna or God? Well, in our stage, we're practicing sadhana bhakti, which means we, there's rules and regulations that we follow, that we surrender to or we accept, we choose. Like I talked about, we have to make the, we have the power, we can make the choice. I choose to, to lead my life in a certain way. So that's surrender at, at, at our stages. You know, I choose to try to work in a, in, in a working environment that's, that's contributing to the world and isn't such a destructive thing. I choose to interact with people in that way. So we're making those choices. We're surrendering according to our particular situation. And for the very, very, very spiritually advanced persons, for instance, we walk in, you know, it's described again in the, in the um, nectar of devotion, you know, great, great, great event. We all come in, you're supposed to take off your shoes, you're supposed to bow down, you're supposed to, like, don't turn your back to the deities. All these things to remind us that he's the boss and we're not the enjoyers of the world. But once we've actually awakened pure love from described, like, you know, pure devotee, you know, they walk in, some, they lay on the floor and, you know, get, they do all kinds of things. We would think, that's ridiculous, you can't do that. And, of course, you can't imitate those things. But one who's purely advanced... And again, rare, but to give us a sense, the, the rules and regulations just kind of fall away because they love God. You know, Mother Yashoda tied Krishna up. I mean, just imagine you came in one day and Naveen Krishnabu was like dressed in the deities and he had like put a rope around the deity. We think, Naveen, that is so offensive, we're all going to suffer because of that ridiculous thing you just did. Right? But Mother Yashoda tied him up. Arjuna, that was Arjuna's realization. He, you know, he, 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 Krishna exp revealed to him who he was, and he said, I don't, wow, I've like treated you just like a friend. I sat in the same bed, I shared food, I joked with you, I didn't treat you. you you're, 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 you're driving my chair, you're like my taxi driver, you're like my servant, and now I understand you're God? Whoa, am I in trouble. See? But then Krishna says, no, I'm God, you're my friend, and I want to... I want to reciprocate with you in this way. There's no offense because that pure love's been awakened. So that's way down the road. But so for now, we do things in a mood of surrender according to our particular status in life. Okay? One more? Is there time? Oh, okay. She's a um, school teacher, so. Yeah, okay. So I, I have a really general question, I guess, um, kind of roadmap a little bit. What is the highest value in um, this philosophy and these love. teachings? Love. Okay, so how do you achieve love? By reawakening what's already there in your heart, which means, uh, we, we say the easiest way is to practice bhakti yoga, by, by chanting God's names, because God and his name are non-different. 
So by chanting those names, it gradually awakens what's within us, which is our pure love of Him and all other living beings. By eating sanctified foods, by, by living a nonviolent life, by associating with spiritually minded people, and by voiding music and, and other forms of sense bombardment that reinforce the illusion that I'm the body. So I guess, I guess um, that there's a non-physical aspect to love that not only is it, I guess, oh, physical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, for sure. So it's like something that The physical is just be... transitory. Okay. You know, in this world, we, we express, if, if you, you love your, chis, your children, so you express your love in part through physically caring for them, you know, winter coats and healthy food and making sure they get enough sleep and all that. So that's part of the way you manifest it. But if you only take care of the body and you forget the soul, that's ultimately, ultimately, our charters would say, ultimately useless. Ultimately. Not that it has no value, but if you forget the soul. Temporary. They gave an example. If you have like a bird in a cage and you polish the bird cage, but you don't feed the bird, ultimately... It's nice the cage is clean, but you didn't take care of the bird. Okay. Thank you. Okay. okay, we can talk more afterwards if you want. Yeah. Okay, thank you all very much. Great question. Great answer. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.